0: Welcome to Seek Reality with your host, Roberta Grimes. Author and attorney, Roberta Grimes, will explore and illustrate how she, after an extraordinary experience of light and childhood, has discovered channels of communication to the afterlife and how these implications have an effect on our everyday lives. Please welcome the host of Seek Reality, Roberta Grimes.
1: Friends, as you know, this is Seek Reality, this is Roberta Grimes, and we're going to have fun today as we always do. Now, as you may know, we don't do much on Seek Reality with near-death experiences or what we call NDEs for short, and the reason is simple. Those that we used to think were dead, who tend to be the real experts, of course, consistently tell us that people who return from an NDE never actually have gone to the places where the dead routinely are. Instead, they go to places in the endless astral planes where they meet with dead people and it looks like the afterlife it's just not quite the same um and so i of course faithfully follow what they say um and i I, the trouble is it makes a lot of people angry when i do these experiences are generally based on what's on, on what's in people's minds. Um, people go to places that look like something that is important to them. That's why some of them are so different. Some of them were religious, some of them you know, are, are very spiritual, some are not, some, I mean, there are people even who go to a, fict- a fictitious hell during an NDE or have very negative experiences if, if their guides thinks that's what they need. But NDEs, are very important they're in a form of a dramatic extraordinary and extreme out-of-body experience but if raymond moody hadn't given them the title of near-death experiences and associated them with death way back in 1965 i don't think we would associate them with death at all Um, i don't mean to say anything negative about them i'm so thrilled we have them because they're dramatic they're life transforming and they're so extraordinary that uh, they're, they're usually the most important thing that happens in every experiencer's life. But uh, so so I'm not telling you these people actually came close to dying or our guests today did. But I am telling you that what they've been through is extraordinary. We have much to learn from it. Um among the things I love about NDEs is that they're so well documented. There have been so many of them. They're they're one of the two or three most likely ways that we're at last going to be able to open the minds of the scientific community and begin to truly get them to investigate the greater reality. And th- frankly, they are the most common and biggest spiritually transformative experience that that people have. So they're very important. Now when i first heard from our guest today robert Kopecki, he, who has had three near-death experiences i said to him you know i'm uneasy about doing near-death experiences and he said no we're going to talk about spiritual stuff so he really rang my chimes with that robert's new book is how to get to heaven without really dying and welcome robert i'm thrilled that you're here
2: thank you robert it's so nice to be back and talk to you
1: again so what what um Tell me, tell us a little bit about your history, just a little, so people will know who it is that we're visiting with.
2: Oh, sure. You know, uh, first off, I'd just like to say that hearing your intro, I'm just right on the same page with you, because I did have three near-death experiences, and obviously I didn't die, right? There were only near-death. <laughs> right. Near <death. laughs> right. Um, my my history is that I had a rather, as you might imagine, a rather tumultuous history, you know, that included these these three very different NDEs. But um I grew up in a good, kind of a difficult household and had a, a a hard childhood and hit the road early and did a lot of jobs I had a lot of lives so to speak until I settled into my career as an illustrator and art director and animation designer which I've done most of my life for a variety of you know famous famous places the New York Times and and the Cartoon Network and PBS Kids and stuff like that uh But it wasn't until I had this kind of um, dark night of the soul about 15 or 16 years ago where the cumulative effects of my near-death experiences and, you know, life in general sort of caught up with me. And I, I had a kind of an ego death. I had a different, not a death death, but an ego death, to speak of, so to speak, that kind of allowed me to enter into a whole new part of my life and I became a a meditator and a vegetarian, and I started studying all kinds of um, uh, philosophy and psychology and physics and scripture. And I ended up um, sitting on a rock by the Upper Delaware River for many years and having this uh, calling to write about it. And so I I put that down into a, a rather fast manuscript and sent it to somebody who liked it, who sent me to a larger publisher, and that became my first book, which was How to Survive Life and Death, that I, I spoke to you about a couple years ago, I think.
1: Okay, well, so so uh, you were how old when you started to sort of, as you have this, what you call the dark, dark night of the soul? Wait, when, when did this happen to you?
2: I, it happened uh, right, around two, uh, right around 9-11. I was in New York City for... Or nine eleven, and I had kind of a um I, I had a moment you know that a lot of people have, where everything around me, all these kinds of structures of material life uh, that I had um, allowed to define myself completely. Sort of fell apart in many ways. The nature of my uh, career ended, and I had to, my second marriage had ended not long uh, after or before that. And uh, that was really the point at which um, I had a kind of a transformative shift. You know, the, each near death experience hadn't done that for me by itself, they contributed to it. But it was Wait, really at that moment about.
1: I mean, because people listening are com- going to compare your experience in, with with their lives. And how old were you when all of this happened? I was forty-five. Okay, so that's good. You were a grown up, but you were not that old. So that that's that's a good time. I, mm-hmm. I didn't really get serious about all of this till I was retirement age. So um, you're way ahead of me, I have to say. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about your three near-death experiences. Sure.
2: Um, they, they were they're all we're, typical. Yep.
1: How old were you when each happened? And tell we can go into them in more detail later, but let's talk quickly about what they were. Uh,
2: the first one, I was in my mid-20s, and I was a, a living a successful life as an illustrator in Los Angeles. Um, all three of them are typical motifs, you know, they're classic motifs. And the first one was an out-of-body experience where I was in a single car accident, and that instantly upon impact found myself at the height of the telephone pole that uh, the car had run into looking down on the scene able to look over uh... into different parts of this uh, unknown neighborhood to me and see people coming out and i witnessed my body being put into an ambulance and tried to communicate with people uh... ineffectively and then was moved on by a spirit that was accompanying me that i never really encountered directly but who shepherded me into this kind of a pastoral setting where I underwent a, a kind of an interview of sorts, the, the absolute details of which I don't really remember precisely, but a lot of important things were hashed out. And I awoke about 20 hours later back into this world in a
1: hospital. So, so you, you, were, were you worried? Gee, if I could look at my body, I must be dead. Did you have any fears like that?
2: No, because, you know, I had that one thing that's typical to all of us and that I talk about as being heaven in the new book is this experience of being enfolded into a field of divine consciousness, this kind of illuminative matrix of loving intelligence, you know, God, so to speak. And so I knew that I was not the same as I had been and that I was looking at my material state down there and that I wasn't it. That I was this diaphanous, effervescent kind of energy being that didn't have real distinct boundaries anymore and felt it one with everything.
1: That's a happy feeling, but that is typical, as you say, of NDEs. I think one reason why people so often think that must have been death is that it feels so different from normal yeah. life. You know, here we've got all these physical experiences and we don't know much and we're stressed by everything from the mortgage payment to the fact that, you know, someone was cranky to us this morning. But there, there's no stress. It's like it's all gone. So no wonder it feels like heaven.
2: Right. And this is one of my sections of my book on how to get to heaven without really dying. The second part of that being the most important is that spiritual perspective I got from that experience that enables me to witness, you know, the form of being human and the difficulties that it presents for us. And people's kind of authentic spirits trying to express themselves through the difficult nature of human life, you know, that we all experience here.
1: So, uh, all right, and the next one, and how old were you then?
2: Uh, I was in my mid-20s.
1: Okay, well then, when was the next one? Because this didn't change you much. It just became an arrow in your quiver, kind of.
2: Yeah, it didn't, because I did not realize that there was any kind of community. This was in the mid-early 80s that that happened, and I did. I wasn't aware of any kind of community of NDE experiencers, or, and when I told people about it, they looked at me funny, and so I just yeah, moved that, that back.
1: No, you're, you're right. A lot of people were probably having NDEs then. One of the things we think because NDEs do appear throughout history, just briefly, everyone. But one, they, there suddenly is an explosion of them uh, in in the 60s, and we think it's because so many more people were close to the threshold and brought back, which was something that was much less likely, although it could happen earlier. I mean, they truly are near-death experience it, it experiences in that many people who have them have bodies sufficiently and minds sufficiently stressed that unless they're brought back. They will complete the transition, but um, you know, like, like you, I'm three is a lot. I think that's kind of you're kind of being piggy about that having three of them. But but in fact, yeah, well. they, they 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 do tend to come when there's some traumatic thing that has happened or when death is possible. When we come back, we're going to learn more about Bob's Roberts, sorry, other two near death experiences, and then we're going to talk about what they are, how they feel, because people talk about their NDEs all the time, but a lot of people wonder, just how would it feel to have that happen to you? This is Roberta Grimes, Seek Reality. We'll be right back.
0: Call 213 401 0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213 401 0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci fi radio programming anywhere, 24 7 365.
3: You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand
1: reality with roberta grimes and robert Kopecki, who is talking to us about near-death experiences in a very productive and positive way um his book is great by the way and it's good for people who are doing with near-death experiences what i hope people will do which is to use them to grow spiritually and we were up to his second nde robert tell us a little about that how old were you and what happened
2: I was in my early 30s at that time, and I had been kind of knocked out of my tracks by a, a failed marriage and the death of an aunt who was very close to me. I was at her bedside. I ran off to New York City, and I lived a, 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 a pretty self-destructive lifestyle. And as a result of it, all of these bad effects kind of cascaded in on me. I ended up One evening, falling out on the floor of my apartment, so to speak, and I became uh, paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't move at all. I felt as though the life were draining out of me completely. How old were you?
1: You were were like in the middle of the best part of your life, right? I mean, that's... Uh,
2: Yeah, I should have been. But uh, I think that possibly from not having kind of dealt with the first NDE and the... the, uh, what it meant to me in my life and I had gone on suppressing all of this kind of stuff and I ended up in this place where um, I found myself on the floor and the the room filled in with a brilliant white cloud completely really? and I again was accompanied by uh, somebody I it's my guardian angel is who I think of it now as being who Directed me to look into the center of this cloud, and a kind of screen opened up where I had this sort of life review, where I was shown the, uh, scenes from my life, but they were not—it was not the highlight reel. You know, these were these were these episodes, they're kind of like episodes of time, boxes of time. They were they were something that I could actually take part in, more than just watch like a movie. And there were five or six of these instances where I had not been present in my life in a way that could have been very instructive uh, for me when I had made bad for, decisions. For example, or,
1: so the bad decisions, <laughs> were, were there cases where you weren't not kind or where somebody, yes. um, okay, and did you experience how other people felt during that or was it really just from your perspective?
2: It was, it was mostly from my perspective, but i got to say that I did experience a deeper empathy towards the people in the scenes so that I came to realize that in each and every moment, we have this effect. You know, we can have this kind of effect in our life and that we're always living in this eternal moment when all the important things happen to us. So uh, I did experience the way people felt uh, in those scenes.
1: Oh my goodness! All right, so how, and so did it then just pass, or did they give you any kind of conclusion? Was this just to show you these these scenes?
2: Yeah, I believe it was just to show me that, and it gave me what I call the gift of presence. This understanding that we live in this eternal moment all the time, no matter what kind of what part of life we're in, even afterlife, we're in this moment of whatever reality we're existing in. You know, right. Uh, but I, th- the woman that I was with at the time, started was shouting and crying because of my condition, and that kind of penetrated into my experience, and the blood kind of started to course in my body again, and the cloud, the whole scene receded, the cloud cleared out, and about amazing. an hour later, so I could get back up on my feet again.
1: Wow! Oh, that's amazing. Okay, well, that's big. And, and did that transform your life at all? Did it affect your, your life?
2: It did. You know, once again, I did not realize or didn't think about looking for a community of supportive people who had had those experiences, too. I just, my my egoic life kind of entered back in. And I ended up leaving that relationship and heading back out west, moving back out west where I come from originally, from New York City. Um and that's where I had my my third near death experience then a few years later.
1: How old were you then?
2: I was about forty in
1: my, okay. first,
2: uh, or my third near death experience.
1: So tell us yeah. what happened.
2: In that one I had just come from New York City to a small town in Arizona and I was getting engaged. I was going to get married and uh I was enjoying a Super Bowl Sunday with some friends in this small town and my fiance was at home baking. And after the game, I went out to call her and I was assaulted by a a big roughneck, what we'd call skinheads at that time. These, these, you know, big, tough kind of neo-Nazi-like kids. This one assaulted me while I was on a payphone and i talked him down and got back on the phone with with uh... my fiance and then he came back and assaulted me more violently and then i made a terrible mistake which was that i punched the guy and he went down and out and the people around me applauded because they had seen the whole thing it was as though i had i'd gotten confirmation from the crowd but when i left i didn't know there was a a, a group of these skinheads who drove up alongside of me and knocked me in the back of the head with maybe a tire iron or something like that, and then stomped and kicked my uh, unconscious body for uh, the better part, the worst part of an hour. Are you kidding? That's terrible. How
1: did you survive
2: that? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I did. What happened to me was interesting, too, because it was a completely different kind of near-death experience. It was one that was a bit more tethered to this reality. In other words, I didn't lose complete realization of this kind of violence happening kind of out there somewhere. But I was contained in this, once again, this this warm, loving kind of situation or or extra dimension, so to speak. They felt kind of terrestrial or almost like inside of a body, almost womb-like. And there were entities around me who were telling me that I needed to go back, that I had not done things right, and that there was something I still needed to do. And they basically, as I recall it, picked me up and pushed me through a kind of a membrane. And when I opened my eyes, I was on my back on the street in this Arizona town, and there was an EMT guy above me who said, he's back. And... That whole thing lasted about two and a half hours or
1: so. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how badly were you hurt? I mean, were you have broken bones and things?
2: That was my worst death, so to speak. (laughs) You're going to rate them like that. But yes, I did have broken bones, and I required reconstructive surgery and all kinds of bad stuff like that. It took me quite a while to recover from it. Um, But from that, I got what I call in the book the gift of purpose, which is this Extra dimensional reality that we are here to fulfill a spiritual uh, evolution of our own and of uh, of our own collectively, too. You know,
1: that's extraordinary. The, the, see, this is very important to everyone, M- we all have primary spirit guides. They sign up with us before we're born, they help us plan that life, and they will. <laughs> they, let, let's just say they'll come into our lives when they need to. Yours have certainly been rather dramatic in, in how they come into your lives. But everybody, you, have, you all have someone like that in your life too. Many of us have more than one primary, secondary, guides for specific purposes. When you take up piano lessons or whatever, somebody will join you to help you with whatever is going on in your life knowing that that's true is immensely comforting they never will leave us doesn't matter how much you think maybe you're not worthy of having somebody like that in your life we all have someone just as robert does but his great luck is he gets to really know these people that's wonderful was it the same beings at each time or did it, did you have any sense of individual beings
2: well you know i never really uh, was able to focus on who they were exactly But a couple of years after I went through this kind of ego death that I was mentioning to you when my life turned around, I had a a Reiki session where I experienced a kind of an astral travel uh, to a place where I met uh, my who I consider my my, uh, guardian angel. And she was introduced to me by the aunt who had died, whose bedside I was at. And it was quite an extraordinary um, extra dimensional experience in itself that wow. gave me this knowledge that you're describing that I am never alone and that I've, I'm always fully supported and uh, encouraged by um, my guides.
1: Everyone listening, if you wish you could be in touch with your guides, you can. Um, all you need to do speak to them aloud before you're going to sleep. Say, I know you're there, I know we're probably going to be meeting tonight. Please um let me remember something from that meeting. Um, tell me what your name is or whatever you think I should know. You know, how should I how should I refer to you? Um and if you if you're persistent, because this for a month you could do this and you won't get an answer, but if you're persistent You'll find you'll wake up in the morning and there'll be something in your mind that you'll you'll pick right out. Just always pay attention to what's going on in your mind when you wake up, and the more you you sort of solidify this connection, the more easy and helpful it's going to be in your life. Because whatever question you have, if they think it would help you to know the answer to the question, they will give it to you. And this this is how I worked with my primary guide for most of my life, and it worked very well. Um, so all right, what what was the physics like. You now, It was different, of course, for each of these because they were from different levels of your own consciousness. Did you have a sense of uh, a timeless, spaceless field? Did you have a sense of being somewhere else, even though you were right there?
2: Yes, I did. I definitely had a sense of this being these being extra-dimensional experiences, so to speak. They were not uh, Earth-like whatsoever. Even the nature of the memories are, are somewhat different, you know, and um, what I talk about in the book is aligning yourself with these kinds of pathways to that experience, because it was very important for me to become a meditator. Um, that's really, in, in large part, how I stay in touch with my spirit guides uh, now, but going inward in that respect opens up the doors to the kind of extra-dimensional experience I had in each of these three cases
1: when we come back we're going to talk about what for me is the point of all of this which is how we can use it to develop spiritually roberta grimes seek reality we'll be right back Back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes and Robert Kopecki. We're talking about his book, which is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, I think. I don't have it right in front of me. Is that right?
2: That's right. That's yeah. it.
1: See, I have mm-hmm. it memorized. Without
2: and, really dying. That's the important without part. Without
1: really dying. But the thing is, we, we think, I thought when I first saw it, that Robert, that you were saying I too have been dead and come back to life, but you weren't at all. He, one of the things he does is to quote the Gospel of Thomas. But we, that fat, in fact, the Gospel of Thomas is where this appears. But it appears in the Bible too. The kingdom of heaven is spread across the earth, but men don't have eyes to see it. That's Thomas. And Jesus tells us repeatedly in the Gospels that the kingdom of God is all around us, the kingdom of God is within us, the kingdom of God is right where we are. And that's the kingdom of God that Robert is talking about, because he was a fairly stubborn guy. I mean, we have to be sort of say that frankly, Robert. He wasn't... Things that would rock other people's worlds, you didn't get in his way, but- Hard headed. Yes, that's right. yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> Fortunately. But eventually there was a breakthrough when he was in his late forties or somewhere in your mid forties. And, and he suddenly realized that there was a whole area of life that he had now been shown for three times, had been shown it and he had to start to explore it. We all are in the same position every day of our lives. There is all of this going around us that we are not paying attention to, but it is the whole purpose why we're here. We plan a life. We come here as like it's a spiritual gym. We come here. We want to get on these machines and learn and grow spiritually, strengthen our spiritual muscles. So what we're going to talk about now is, He's coming at this from a very different experience. I have to say, Robert, frankly, I don't meditate. My husband's been meditating for, I don't know, 40 years. I don't meditate. I don't want to do it. I don't have the time. I'm just not I'm not a meditator. So I come at spiritual growth from a very different way. But I'm very idiosyncratic. Most people come at it from Robert's perspective. So talk to us about meditation, how you began to do it, and how it helped you.
2: Um. Well, I think I was just called upon, you know, I had this experience where um, I was given the opportunity to buy a small house on the upper Delaware River, which is a wild and scenic National Park River. It's about two and a half hours out of New York City where I live. And I uh, met my, my wife, my my third and ultimate wife <laughs> i hope and we started going up there re- very very regularly and and there was a rock by the river that had my name on it and i just began sitting there very early in the mornings and after which i started to have this calling to uh, to write and these this kind of experience of heaven that i had in those moments of deep meditation I knew were the same kind of experiences that I had had in these three different near-death experiences. Not the details, you know, because the details of it were all kind of karmically fashioned by where I was in my life, so to speak. But the things that each of my experiences and the experiences of so many other people I've heard now had in common arose within me while I was meditating. That being enfolded into this expansive matrix of loving intelligence and having a transcendent sense of complete connectedness with everything and this kind of understanding of my purpose, you know?
1: Well, how did you get started? I mean, did you read something about meditating? Were you, um, how did you get started meditating? Was it just you were sitting there and you kind of fell into a trance? What
2: happened? Well, it goes way, it went way back for me because as a kid, having a hard time growing up, I became a martial artist, which was kind of, I think, my spirit guide's way of putting me in a safe place. And I came under the influence of a teacher who was a very learned fellow, knew a lot about Eastern practices, and had me meditating at that time. Um, It did a lot of good for me when I was 15 or 16 years old, and then the course of all this insanity happened in my life. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s again that I returned to it, and it worked for me in a way that it never had when I'd tried it in the intervening years.
1: It, to me, um, the the what, what they call the monkey mind is always going too much. Uh, there always are thoughts that you, that come into your mind, and I just get very impatient with them. So, mm-hmm. how do you how do you quell the monkey mind?
2: Well, that that's really one of the great things that meditation works for, because when one sits in meditation and becomes an observer, and I write about this in the book, this this principle that the Hindus have of sakshi, of being a, a, a compassionate, neutral witness to life in general, when one sits in meditation and starts to hear that demanding voice in our head, what you call the monkey mind, or what's often called the ego mind, mm-hmm. that's you know telling us what to do and what we have to worry about, and you know, it's worried that there's a saber-toothed tiger behind the bush that's about to jump out and eat you. But that hasn't been the case for a long, long time, you know. It's creating lots of false fears that we don't really need to allow to define our lives. And in sitting in meditation, one can become an objective witness to that. And when you objectively...
1: Most people mm -hmm. seem to say, who are expert meditators, that if you fight the thoughts, they actually get worse. So just let them drift in and drift out. That's what that's what many say. And then they they Mm -hmm. start coming less and less as you go deeper.
2: Well, you let them play through. Yeah, you let them play through, so to speak. And then you start to notice that there's a place within you that isn't that. And you begin to identify yourself with that area of serene, calm, the, the still small voice, as the Quakers call it. And you can witness that kind of crazy voice going on and on. And pretty soon you just don't have to pay attention to it anymore.
1: So, so yeah, And that's what others say, too. So I believe that is true. Um, so how often do you meditate? How long do you meditate? How do you find the time to meditate?
2: Well, when it's when it's warm and sunny here in the Northeast, I meditate almost every day. <laughs> when it's cold, I do it about two or three times a week uh, in the wintertime because I'm in a different, I'm not in nature. I love to meditate in nature. But I find that it's one of those things that one can make the time for because of how much it enhances the quality of your life. I'm, I'm more effective at everything else I do when I uh, meditate for a little while in the morning.
1: So, but it, many people who have a nine-to-five job are saying, oh, how would I ever do that? Um, what, how long do you meditate? What, um, like at 20, my husband does 20 minutes every day. Do you do on 20 weekdays minutes
2: on it's, Yeah, on weekdays, it's like 20 minutes to a half hour. For the six or seven years leading up to the publication of the first book, when a lot of things really turned around for me, I was meditating uh, three or four days a week for about two hours a day.
1: Wow! Because most people thousands of hours. Yes, but most people who are in the midst of life can't do that. My husband, who has been doing this, as I say, for literally almost 40 years, um, meditates routinely before lunch for 20 minutes uh, somehow he knows when 20 minutes are over and he just comes out of it uh, I think many pe- for him that's been enough it has really I, I remember him from before he is a different person and a much better person to himself and others because he does this so yeah. if people who are what are listening to us and saying well for Pete's sake you guys you have all the time in the world I don't have any time I've got a husband I've got a wife I've got children 20 minutes will do it and if you do it every day, it really seems to become something that just becomes part of your life. And you can do it on your lunch hour. You have to do it with, with an empty stomach. Apparently, it's a problem if you you can make you can give yourself indigestion if you've eaten. So do it before lunch. Try it before yeah, lunch. Yeah,
2: I, I think as long as you have a conscious contact with whatever, with with God or with your angel guides, your spirit guides, as long as you just get into that For a little while, I think you're you're good. Um, You know, in the book, it's really about aligning you with what these heavenly sensations are that are common to all these experiences. Meditation is only part of it, because I have in the first part, in the perspective part, I have actions that you can take that kind of amount to the same sort of thing in a way, without having to interrupt your busy schedule.
1: And, and the point of this, of course, is to raise your spiritual vibration. You have come mm-hmm. to earth. Nearly everybody has this is your life purpose, learning to raise your spiritual vibration. So what... what Robert is doing really is at the core of what each of us needs to be doing now and as I've told you there I do it differently and what I do works as well but what's interesting to me about his book, actually a number of things are I really recommend it highly, what's interesting to me is he's at the same place, learning to love perfectly learning to forgive completely learning to put aside and do away with all of the things about this life that we think are important because they're not important at all and when you do that you can raise your spiritual vibration i think meditating does help robert i mean i'm not fighting you on that i think it does it's just that we're all on different voyages and his voyage actually your voyage may help a lot of people um, because for me it's a much more mechanical thing i'll be talking in another couple or three weeks uh, about how i do it so uh, i will try to remember to remind you about how robert does it you may find that some combination is what you all need to do. Um, we, we have, we, the, the, to me, the point of all of this is for us to come to a shared understanding of who and what we are. Because when we have that, all of the, the differences in religion go away, the politics doesn't right. matter a fig. We, we, we rise above it all. And don't you find that it makes you happy?
2: Oh, yeah. The, the goal is to transcend the delusion of separateness. It's so that we realize that we're always one in God yes. and in many ways we are the same person the same divine consciousness being expressed through these different forms that we're each in that we,
1: that we are this illusion of separation and I should yeah. just say too I'm sure you mean when you say God you don't mean the, the cranky guy with the thunderbolts what no. you mean what you mean is eternal mind of which all our minds are a part and eternal mind is all that exists and it's, it's-
2: I call it, I call it divine consciousness.
1: When we come back, we're we're going to finish this up talking about what we've learned. Roberta Grimes, seek reality.
3: You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on SIMO TV.
2: www.WilliamSPeckham.com
1: Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes and Robert Kapecki. And what we're talking about, he's had three NDEs and they're all, they were all different. I think he has had the most interesting set of NDEs I've ever heard of. but. But the point of them was to get his attention. And he's, as he says, he says hard-headed. Took a, it took a lot to get his attention. But once his attention was obtained by his guides, he began to grow spiritually. And he used techniques very different from the ones I use, but they get you to the same place. And I think that's what I'd like to sort of talk about a little bit, Robert. Do you, what, what do you notice is different about your life as you've gotten deeper and deeper into spiritual growth?
2: well i the, the three near-death experiences were all had they all had an instructive component to them too that's something that was very consistent and so there were these elements of guidance or of teaching or of having to adjust my life in ways that aligned me with this kind of heavenly experience here or later or whenever and so i'm able to look at people with this kind of perspective that i got from the out-of-body experience that allows me to see their spirit kind of struggling through the forms of their life. Life is not easy for anybody, you know? No,
1: that's right.
2: And then the second experience gave me this gift of presence where I'm able to realize that everything is happening right within this moment, in the eternal now or in the eternal moment, when all of our choices and all of the important things are being shown to us, synchronicities and all, the, all of that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm able to be more present for people, I think, in my life. And then I have this sense of purpose. You know, I, was, I, I apparently was sent back here to talk about this and to help people with uh, their understanding of life and life and death, some of their questions, and to, uh, to show up for life, whether I'm the star of a big movie or if I'm just helping somebody I love. My purpose is clear to me uh, when I'm leading a spiritual life.
1: So what, it, it, this helps you to feel as if it feels makes you helps you feel peaceful. It helps you feel happy as your as your vibration raises, doesn't? Don't you find it also helps you to see other people differently, empathize much more than you did ever did before?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I call that looking at people with angel eyes, where you can just experience oh. their spirit struggling through the forms of their life, what their experiences might have been, or traumas or victories or, you know, their upbringing, their genes, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, I talk about um, the actions that you can take to align you to this kind of heavenly experience, which are, exist in kindness, honesty, humility, forgiveness, compassion, and service. And so those are actual actions you can bring to your life that are, you know, everybody does all of that in heaven.
1: Right? That's yes. consistent.
2: That's consistent in
1: heaven. But so, now, we're everyone, we're talking with someone who tried to ignore these experiences. You weren't really religious before either, were you? Not
2: at all, no. Yeah,
1: right. So, so let's just say, we're ta- basically someone who, who was very macho, going through life in a very macho way, and um, but got tapped on the shoulder by spirit and called to do what is what we would think of as... Uh, Religious, which it's not, nothing to do with religion, but certainly not a conventional way of looking at the world, but it's empowering to do this. If you decide now it's the time for you to start to really grow spiritually, and you, I mean, his book would be a great place to go, um, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying. Very easy to understand book from someone who has lived the experience, so I can recommend it strongly, but however you begin to do it. To begin to put your spiritual growth first in your life, I guarantee you is the one thing that is going to make you feel very glad when you finally do graduate, because uh, that's why you came. And the first thing many people do when they get when they get there is hit their foreheads and say, "What was I thinking?" You know, I tried to get all this money, I tried to get all this power. I was I stepped on people's faces and it got me nowhere. So yeah. so the, the kind of transformation you have had, I think, is a great example for all of us. Uh, as And I'm just glad it happened to you as early as it did in life, because you have wonderful teaching now to be done.
2: Well, thanks what? so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a completely different definition of success, that yes. what we do that enables our spiritual evolution, uh, gives us a life that is transcendent in nature. It's, you know, it's like living in heaven a lot of the time. So that's... Um, for me, a lot of it too came from studying ancient texts, you know, like the Bhagavad Gita or the Gospel of Thomas that we mentioned before. Yes. I have that in the, the presence section of the book, and the poetry of Rumi, and uh, Coleman Barks gave me his translations, which I love I'm very grateful for. and then in the in the last part of the book, I go into twenty tips for just living to align ourselves with the recreation of heaven on earth, which I think is a definite possibility that we can all uh, pitch in together and recreate here.
1: One of the things that's important to understand, everyone, is that this is a kind of physics. It's a spiritual physics that you don't have to believe something. It's not a religion at all. You don't have to do any religious practice. But what you're doing is working with your mind to raise your spiritual consciousness. And it is a physics. I'll, I'll be talking about this, as I say, in a few mm-hmm. weeks. Um, mm-hmm. It's something which, as long as you do your part, you, you can get this kind of success in your own spiritual life. Everybody can. And there is no happiness like the happiness, as he's he's telling you, there's no happiness like the happiness of finally beginning to get this right. What, What do you want people most to take away from our conversation today?
2: Well, I think that's a pretty good message, that there's this kind of spiritual technology at work. You know, there's this invisible machinery just underneath the surface of what you see, I like to call the field of love because it's showing itself through all these different forms and relationships in our life. So removing the obstacles to the realization of love in your life, how you can bring more of it into the world and how you can enjoy more of it coming into you. I think that that's pretty critical. That's a big part of living in heaven, so to speak.
1: Well, I, this is—we'll have to talk about this again before long because I—this th- more and more is where I'm coming to understand. This has been the point of my voyage to coming to a place where I can begin to teach this as well. I'm so glad you've been with us. What's your website? How will people get to get in touch with you?
2: Well, there's www. com, and then a lot of people read my blog, which is robertkopecky.blogspot.com. blogspot. com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff too. You can look me up there.
1: And you spell his uh, name K-O-P-E-C-K-Y, just as it sounds. Well, thank you so much. Please consider yourself hugged, and I hope that uh, I hope we can do this again soon.
2: Thank you, Roberta. Much love. Many blessings.
1: So this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, as you all know, and I'm very glad you could join us today because this is something that is so important to me. Next week, our guest will be Louise Harmon. This will be our second time joining us on Seek Reality. I'm really looking forward to our visit. Louise is an extraordinary and very gifted Australian medium, and she is one of the most spiritually dedicated people I've ever met. She's one of the few people I've ever interviewed who has blown my mind. By day, she works full-time as a software engineer, and by night, she is a According to the title of her first book dedicated to the afterlife and boy is she we had her on here 18 months ago and I just have to find out what she's up to now this week our guest has been Robert Kopecki, and his new book is called how to get to heaven without really dying wisdom from a near death survivor the, the title is cute but it, it more to the point the book is about Exactly what I think is the most important thing for all of us to be looking at now, which is why are we here and how do we make the most of our time here to raise our spiritual vibration as much as possible. We're here for a short time, right? And eternity is a very long time, but it's hard to raise your vibration in the afterlife because there's nothing to push against. Robert, you know, has had a lot to push against, but the beauty of it is that he has used that experience in this, in this gym, which we call life, this spiritual gym. He has used that experience to really better his life and therefore now be able to better everyone's life as well. Again, how to get to heaven without really dying. And he's, he's a, a very interesting, thoughtful, hard-headed man who still has figured it all out. Um, you're going to enjoy him. As you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, my Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and For Young Children, The Fun of Meeting Jesus. We'll be putting out a second picture book this year. You can order all of my books through bookstores or on Amazon.com, and they're available except the child's book as audiobooks as well. If you want to talk about any of my books or if you want to talk about really anything at all, you can contact me through RobertaGrimes.com. I always answer emails. Just be sure you give me your correct email address because if I write a long answer and then I send it to the address that it turns out to be the wrong address, it really really gives me a bad day. You don't want to do that to me. But really, I answer all kinds of questions. The day will come probably when I can't do it anymore, but sometimes it takes me close to a week at this point to make sure I get to all of them, but I do. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, on iTunes, and through the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in the iTunes store. Earlier episodes are being broadcast about a year later by our wonderful, wonderful friends at Dream Vision 7 Radio. And if you're ever wondering where Seek Reality can be heard right now, just go to robertagrimes.com and click the radio tab. Meanwhile, please never forget, that while we are in the midst of what seems to be a real material life, none of this is real. Our true eternal selves are far away and watching, trying to help us do the best that they can. We are all part of that one glorious being, that great mind, which is all that exists in this perfect love. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you, in particular, are a powerful, eternal being, and you are infinitely loved.